I've never met him and I do not know him, but on all accounts, even from the people who oppose him, Israel Folau is a humble, well-liked team member of universal approval, morally upright and full of integrity in a sporting world of drugs, violence, drunkenness and degeneracy, he has stood out as a shining light of morality and uprightness. Kind to his fellow players, generous with his time and, apart from everything else, not bad at rugby. But Israel Folau has caused a controversy in Australia by telling drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists and idolaters, hell awaits you, repent, only Jesus saves. The controversy has many features. Breaking of contracts. The right to make a contract with restrictive clauses. The freedom of religion, especially to quote the Bible, freedom of speech, team spiritedness, multicultural acceptance of Pacific Island Christianity, the rights of sponsors, the nature of inclusiveness, the sensitivity on the subject of homosexuality. The problem involves arguably the best player in Australia in a team sport that no one player could possibly win for their team. The media and the public are divided in their support and attack on this subject. And there's a $4 million contract flying in the wind somewhere as well. Where do or where should Christians stand on this issue? I want to turn to the closest passage of to what Izzy, I've got to call him Izzy because you can't call him Israel when you're dealing with the Bible because you get really confused. <laughs> and I don't want to call him Mr. Folau because that's a bit over the top. And so I'm, I'm going with his well-known nickname of Izzy, which I find fairly unattractive, but never mind. <laughs> I want to turn to the passage that he would be closest to what he said, namely 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand this passage, that we may teach it aright, that we may live by it aright. Take from us, Father, the, that deception of heart and mind, that is so natural to us. Give us a clear understanding of your ways that we too may share with the Corinthians in being washed, sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, let me make some observations 
I'm numbering them. One, Izzy was not quoting this or any passage in the Bible. I wish the journalists did their homework and understood this. That is, atheists are not in the passage. Idolaters are not in the list. And the greedy and the revilers whom he meant doesn't mention are in the list. Now, this may be a translation problem, but I've checked a lot of English translations, about 15, and he was not quoting any one of them. He may, of course, been quoting a Tongan translation of which I know nothing. Two, the passage makes no reference to hell, but it does say the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is emphatic because it's actually said twice, both in verse 9 and at the conclusion of verse 10, which effectively means that they will come under God's condemnation, which in Jesus' terms means hell. For the word hell is only really found on the lips of Jesus. It occurs 14 times in the New Testament and 13 of the 14 are on the lips of Jesus, which is so contrary to the kind of nonsense you can read about the newspapers, Jesus would never go around speaking about hell. In fact, nobody but Jesus went around speaking about hell. Three, like the parallel passages in Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5, we're warned not to be deceived, <coughs> presumably because this is exactly where deception is likely to come from the evil one who said to Eve, you will surely not die. Warning people of danger is not unloving, just the reverse. Failure to warn people of danger is unloving. For, as with Izzy's list, there is no distinction here between sins. If one was as if one was more sinful than others or more deserving of punishment of others. These are all examples, these are all symptoms of the fundamental disease of unrighteousness. Number five, some of these are not on Izzy's list but are frequently omitted from wealthy Christian morality today, though frequently listed in the New Testament. Idolaters and greedy, in particular, I draw your attention to Queen's Birthday Convention, I'm going to speak on idolatry and greed. It's everywhere in the New Testament, not everywhere in our mind, because those who are idolaters and greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Number six, unrighteousness is not abstract, but implemented in actions actions that exclude people from the kingdom of God. It's not the actions, but the people who are excluded because of their actions. God does not just hate sin, but also sinners. Number seven, without any explicit reference to repentance, the passage reveals that these people can be changed so that they're no longer excluded from the kingdom of God, but rather are washed, are sanctified, are justified. Number eight. These changes have already happened to the Corinthians. In that beautiful verse, number 11, and such were some of you. I do find translators a difficult group of people to deal with as a preacher 
because they will, not, they will leave out the word but, which occurs three times here, quite otiose, unnecessary, and so therefore dropped out. But it's otiose and unnecessary in Greek, which is therefore should be in. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. The but is emphatic for a very good reason, that this which excludes you from the kingdom of God has now been totally overcome. And you who were amongst the excluded have now been fully included. The but is a really important word. It's possibly the most important word in the whole paragraph. But it's no longer what you were. There is something different. You have been changed. Number nine, these changes happen as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's by his name and in the spirit of our God that you were changed in this dramatic, wonderful, magnificent way. Number ten, the English word homosexuals is an inadequate translation for, as the ESV has it, men who practice homosexuality. It's inadequate for lots of reasons, not the least the difficulty of the English word. Is it homosexual or is it homosexual? If you hadn't realised before, they're two different words. They mean two different things. It's not just a matter of sloppy pronunciation or whether you went to, to a school or a college or something or other. Homosexual is talking about having sex with men, which I take all women are homosexual who are married. Uh, homosexual is about having sex with someone who is the same as yourself, which is not necessarily having sex with men if you're a lesbian. Homosexual, hom you know the Greek words, don't you? Well, never mind. <laughs> we have all people to know. What he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 6, though, is homosexuality because it's about men. I'll show in a while. Consequently, number 11, there are a great diversity amongst the translators. The AV has, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The Holman has, anyone practising homosexuality. The NIV in 84 had, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders. They changed it in NIV 11 to, men who have sex with men. Number 12, there's a great variety, there is a reason for this great variety. There are two, not one word, in the Greek. Neither Greek word is simple to translate. For though the context makes them part of a list of unacceptable behaviour, exemplifying unrighteousness, they are not the usual words for homosexual behaviour. One, Malakos means effeminate. It can be used in the context of homosexuality, though not usually in the ancient world was it used that way. The other, arsenicoetus, is male intercourse. Though part of the problem here is it's the first time in Greek literature that the word is ever used. So we have no background knowledge of what it meant. You can only work it from the combining of two words, male, arson, and intercourse, coitus. 
Precision is therefore not easy in this translation in particular, especially as such practices that a Jewish Christian writer in the Greco-Roman world was thinking of is fairly hard to determine as well. The English word, homosexual, is actually a modern invention. It was invented in the 19th century, we even know by whom and when, and it was invented as part of a program to right the wrongs done to the homosexual community. It was invented for political purposes as a word. The word has entered into the English vocabulary without necessary reference to its origins, but the English word refers not to the practice but to the sexual attraction that some men have for other men. As an adjective, my dictionary tells me, sexually attracted to people of one's own sex. As a noun, a person who is sexually attracted to people of their own sex. I figured that that was a modern computer dictionary, so I chased back to earlier dictionaries, and my earliest dictionary I have at home is the 1970s, really before the great shift in homosexual attitudes to homosexuality in our community, and way back in the 1970s, it was exactly the same. The word is about same-sex attraction, not about activity. And at that point, therefore, it really does create a difficulty to translate these two Greek words about activities as one word about attraction in a list of words that are about activities that create identity. Now, Israel Folau has been criticised for a variety of reasons. The non-Christians think he's insensitive, the Christians think he's ineffective. The non-Christians think he's insensitive to the great social righting of the wrongs that have been done to the homosexual community over centuries. Insensitive to the reality of hate speech, which feeds into homophobic societies. Insensitive to the consequences of homophobia in the bashings and the murders that have taken place in this city as well as in our society generally. And particularly insensitive to the teenagers who are struggling with their sexual identity and, it is said, suicide with great frequency. Christians say that he's ineffective because the turn or burn message doesn't work anymore, if it ever did, because it's all too negative. It doesn't speak of the love of God and of God's acceptance of all people because it fails to engage with the culture of his own day and our day because it's lacking in the grace in its mode of communication. And is he really one of us? Is he truly a Trinitarian? Is he an evangelical? Is he mainstream? He belongs to some strange church that doesn't fit in with ours and what church is it? What does he believe? Does he understand the hyperstack unity? I mean, what, what, what is the man really about? So what of us? Where do we stand? I mean, it's important to understand, firstly, that it's not the mode of communication but the content of his communication that causes the problem. We may not like the mode. You might go on, not go on Instagram. You might hate social media. You might, there's a whole host of things you can complain about, but frankly, it's got nothing to do with the mode of communication. Secondly, it's really 
It's not really the content. That's not the problem either. It's only one word, homosexual. That's the problem. Without that word, I doubt that anybody other than those who read his Instagram would even know that it had been said. But with that word, the heat has entered into the whole discussion. Number three, that rugby players have a right to speak theologically, but you shouldn't expect enormous sophistication and subtlety of mind from a rugby player any more than you should expect fine rugby skills from a theologian. <laughs> Number four, social media is really not social. It leaks across to mainstream media and frankly, it's the mainstream media and the journalists' fault that this is all blown up as much as anybody else and all their tut-tutting about it is cant and hypocrisy and needs to be said so, though no one will hear because it won't be printed in mainstream media that that is the case. And fifthly, Christians should be men and women of their word. He should not have broken his contract if he has broken his contract, which is a private contract so no one knows except for him and those who have drawn it up. Furthermore, no one should sign a contract that they can't keep. So if he's broken it, he shouldn't have broken it, but frankly, if it is like that, he shouldn't have signed it in the first place. And thirdly, in this regard, no one, frankly, should be ever asked to, seek, to sign a contract that restricts your religion or your freedom to speech. The contract is a furphy. Anybody and everybody's at the same fault. But, of course, that's where the law resides. But then again, we know the law is an ass. So where do you stand? Where do you stand? Where do you stand on this issue? No point as a Christian in the city of Sydney to have no opinion on this issue. So where do you stand? I've got a checklist for you. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Tick or cross as they come along as to whether you stand with or against these kind of questions. Are you ready? Do you believe that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you believe that people are in danger of being deceived about this? Do you believe that homosexual behaviour is amongst those acts of unrighteousness that exclude people from the kingdom of God? Do you believe that hell awaits those who do not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you believe that people, even yourself, have been changed from unrighteousness to be washed, to be sanctified, to be justified? Do you believe that repentance is required of the unrighteous? Do you believe that washing and sanctifying and justifying in the name of Jesus and by Holy Spirit are realities that are available to today? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved and avoid hell? 
Do you believe in preaching the gospel? If you've said yes to all those, then you're on the same team as Israel Folau. Now, when you're playing rugby, and I'm sorry for those of you who don't play rugby and have never played rugby and don't understand what I'm about to say, you actually do, just listen, it makes sense, the context will give it to you. And, <laughs> but when you're on the same team, you don't drop, drop a man because, you don't sack a man because he's dropped the pass. If that's what he did, you stand with him wearing the same jumper supporting him, encouraging him, possibly having a little whisper to him about passing practice next week, but you don't dump on your team member when he drops a pass, especially a difficult pass. A little piece of history that doesn't matter. One of the greatest rugby players of modern time in Australia is a man called David Campisi, who is often well remembered for passing the ball on his own try line badly so that the opposition got a try. My suspicion are that in his retirement, David Campisi still dreams of that moment of nightmare. But for the rest of us, we remember he was one of the greatest rugby players we ever produced. Just because you drop a pass doesn't sack you from a team. And if you've said yes to my list of questions, you're on his team and he's on your team. He has put the gospel of salvation back on the public agenda. That's not bad. I haven't been able to do it. But he has. He has given you and me the opportunity, the opening to say to people about what he has said that is right. Only by Jesus can you be saved. And the unrighteous will indeed be going to hell. But they can be changed, but only by Jesus. They can be washed, they can be sanctified, they can be justified. It is available today. I'm telling you, friends, if that's not the gospel that you are preaching, you and I are not on the same team. We're on this team and he's put it out there for the world to hear and given us the opportunity to stand up with him and say, well, whether or not he's right on this, whether or not he's right in the way he said it, what he said was true and what about you, where do you stand with God? He's given us that opening. You want to be evangelists? I trust and hope you do. I don't want you to be in more college if you don't want to be an evangelist. Evangelism lies at the heart. It's the gospel. How can you be wanting to study the Bible and not be a gospel person? You want to be an evangelist? This is what it is like. I don't know if you've ever played rugby, ever played in a scrum. I love being a prop forward. But there's no point playing rugby and complaining that it hurts. It's not the point of the game, like boxing, but it always carries on in the game inevitably. It's the nature of the game that in rugby you will be hurt. There's no point playing on evangelism team if you're going to complain about getting hurt, offended, excluded, embarrassed. There's no point complaining about it. 
I want to be loved by everybody. Why can't I just be loved by anybody? Because you're an evangelist, that's why. <laughs> you are preaching the cross of Christ and you don't want to be crucified. That's a nonsense. There's no point complaining if you're going to call people to repent. Because when you call people to repent, you say, stop, what you're doing is wrong. The way you're living is wrong. Stop being who you are. Change. You need to stop and change or you'll go to hell. How can you say that without offending people? It is deeply offensive. You might say it very gently, very quietly. But if they've understood you at all, they'll be offended. That is what goes with the territory. And those who are offended sometimes repent and are saved. And they love your feet because how wonderful and beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. And there are those who will, not re- who will be offended and who will not repent. And for, you, you are, for them, you are the stench of death. If you say to people, there is no way to God except by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you say to people, there is no other name under which you can be under heaven by which you can be saved than the name of Jesus Christ, you will cause disruption, disunity. You will be seen as exclusive, insensitive. You will be rejected in the Australian multicultural, multi-religious society of pluralism. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, and remember the rest of the sentence, and the Gospels will save it. Can't have Jesus without the Gospels. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as an evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, For so their fathers did to the false prophets. I trust you leap for joy as those who share with Israel for in preaching the gospel.